Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Sometimes the pastor needs to hear a little bit of encouragement. Doesn't necessarily need, need it, but, you know... It wouldn't hurt to give an encouragement every once in a while. And it's like when you preach, uh, you know, everywhere I go, it's so funny because I can go to different places. And uh, one message that I speak, I, I could preach it in like 25 minutes, the very same message. I go to another church and it can take me like two hours to preach it just because the people are so very responsive to the word of God and uh, they pull a lot on it. Uh, I could have gone on for a lot longer this morning, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I was trying to be respectful of the time, and uh, I didn't want anybody to blame me for their house burning down uh, because of the roast that they might may have had in the oven. But uh, this past year, when I went over to India, uh, last year actually, when I went to India, one of the amazing things about being in India is that they had, like, bodyguards around me the whole time while I was there. And they say, well, you know, why did I need the bodyguards? Was it because it was so dangerous over there? No, actually, it wasn't dangerous. The reason they had bodyguards around me was because the people are so hungry for a move of God that they actually, you know, they have the faith. I was going to say they actually, but there's nothing wrong with believing that. But they have the faith that if they just touch the man of God as he's walking by, going back to his room or whatever it is that he's doing, uh, they, they have the faith that God would he, will heal them of whatever infirmity that they have. And we see that story in the Bible with the woman with the issue of blood, where she just ignored what everybody else said, and she fought through the pressing crowd. You know, they may have been calling her names. They may have been speaking negatively towards her. They may have been discouraging her, saying that she was never going to get her healing. But that didn't stop her from reaching Jesus. She fought her way through the crowd and through every negative report. And the Bible says she stretched out her hand in faith. And as she stretched out her hand in faith, the Bible says virtue, which was power, flowed out of Jesus and into that woman. And instantly, the Bible says she was made whole. And so in India, like they have that faith that if they just touch the man of God, that they would get that healing. So that's why they had bodyguards around me the whole time, because they weren't protecting me from unbelievers. They were protecting me from the believers. They didn't want me getting attacked. And, uh, and it's so true because when I would be done preaching, uh, when I would be done preaching for the night, I would be walking out of the service. And honestly, you know, the, it was probably like 60 feet out to the door and, Normally, it would take me like about 30 seconds to walk 60 feet and go get to wherever I'm going. But as I was walking out of the service, it would be one person after another person after another person would stop me. And they would just want me to lay hands on them. And, you know, the guys kept telling me, just keep on walking. Just keep on walking. Don't, don't pay any mind. But, you know, I didn't go there just to keep on walking. I went there to minister to the people. And if they believed that they're going to receive their healing if I laid my hands on them, you know, ultimately their focus wasn't on me. I hope it wasn't on me. 
I think a lot of times we put our focus on what people can do, what our natural programs can do. But we need to get our eyes off of man. We need to get our eyes off of the programs that this world has put into place. And we need to get our eyes focused and fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. Because one thing that I understand at the age of 36 is that the God we serve, he never fails. That when God says he's going to do something, God is always true to his word. And he will always fulfill the promise. Can somebody say amen? And the other thing that I think that a lot of people, you know, have a a misunderstanding is that they say the Bible is a book of promises, but the Bible is not necessarily a book of promises. We have promises in the Bible, but the Bible is more of a book of covenant. You see, a lot of people think that God has to do his part, but when it comes to a covenant, covenant comes between two people. God will only do his part after we have done our part. Can somebody say amen? It's the same thing with salvation. God, God has already done everything that he is going to do to save mankind. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, Lord, I'm praying that you would save this person, that you would do something for them to be saved. But God's already done everything that he's going to do. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we may repent of sin and believe on him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And when we repent of sin and believe on him and confess with our mouth, then salvation comes. But in order for these people to receive salvation, God's already done what he has to do. Now we as the church of the body of Christ, we need to do our part and we need to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because a lot of people I think oftentimes assume that's what the pastor or the evangelist or the prophet And the apostle is for so that they would go out and win the lost. But in reality, the the fivefold ministry, the evangelist, prophet, apostle, pastor, and teacher, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.11, the reason that they are doing what they're doing is so that they can equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Our responsibility, our, you know, your responsibility is not just to come to church on a Sunday morning in the Sunday night and maybe come to a midweek service, but Your responsibility is to come to church, receive from God, so that you can go out and do the work of ministry. And at the same time, that you would ask God to open up doors of opportunity so that you can minister to people. And did you know that God will take time out of eternity and he will set up certain situations so that... If there's one person that needs to hear about Jesus, God will set it up perfectly so that he will put you on their path so that you don't just say, well, I'll pray for you, but that you would do something for them and that you would tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we wonder why certain things happen in our lives and we don't realize that we only see like we only see a little bit, but God sees the perfect picture. For example, I was in Toronto, I was in Tampa. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, down in Tampa, Florida, and I was down there with a few, with a couple of friends of mine, and we were down there for a conference. And coming back on Thursday morning, I had a place that I had to be that weekend to, to minister at, and so I left Tampa on Thursday morning, got to the airport. My friends arrived and met me there. And the plane that we were supposed to get on to go back to Bangor, Maine, was actually canceled. Now, there's a difference when your plane gets delayed and when your plane gets canceled. If your plane gets delayed, I can deal with it. Eventually, I'm going to get on the plane. If it gets canceled, then you got to find another way to get home or try to be put on another airline. So our plane got canceled on United Airlines. And so they sent 
us all the way down to Delta, and they found us a couple, a few seats on Delta, but we had to go outside of the airport again, and then come back in and go through security. But our plane now wasn't leaving till about four or five o'clock uh, later that evening, so we had to wait about nine hours in the airport just sitting there. There's only so I can only sit for so long, and there's only so much coffee that you can drink at the airport, and uh, and so I remember when they finally started boarding us, we got on the plane and we're on our way to LaGuardia airport. Halfway through the flight, the pilot comes on and he says, we're going to have to make an emergency stop because I forgot to refuel while I was in Tampa. Now I thought to myself, how in the world you have one responsibility? Well, a few. You got to take off, you got to land, and you got to make sure that there's some gasoline in that plane. And so he says, well, we got to make an emergency landing because I forgot to refuel while I was in Tampa. And I thought to myself, man, we were in Tampa for a long time. How did you forget to refuel? And he said, we've got to stop over in Cincinnati, then we got to fill it up, and then we got to wait for the clearance in order for us to take off and then we'll be the rest of our way to LaGuardia Airport. Well, my plane to Bangor wasn't leaving until 12.59 in the morning and we were scheduled to get in in LaGuardia after all that, uh, after all that at about 10.25 in the evening. So we land actually a half hour earlier than what we were supposed to, we were scheduled to arrive there. When, I get, when we land, I turn on my cell phone. Paul turns on his cell phone. And all of a sudden, we get these notifications from Delta Airlines that we have missed our, missed our flight to Bangor, Maine. And I thought to myself, how in the world did we miss our flight to Bangor, Maine? Things not taking off till 12.59 in the morning. And it's 10, like 10 o'clock right now in the evening. We're like three hours ahead of schedule. Well, as we continued reading, I guess the text message answered our question. Because the plane took off at 9.59. We were landing while the plane was taking off. They decided to take off three hours earlier. So we went to Delta and told them, listen, we just got off of this plane and, you know, we missed our flight to Bangor. What do we do? The lady looked and said, well, there's no, this was Thursday evening now going into early Friday morning. And she said, well, there's nothing that we can do. She's all like, the next available flight for you to get to Bangor, Maine is going to be Saturday in the evening sometime. Well, I don't have time to waste, and I've got to be somewhere to preach at, uh, on Sunday morning, a few hours away from my house, so I need to get home on Friday. So I made up my mind. Paul and Heather, they decided that they were going to, you know, they were going to wait till 3 o'clock in the morning to talk to Delta or talk to United Airlines, whoever they were going to talk with, and try to see if they can get a ticket to fly out to Manchester and so they can drive the rest of the way home from Manchester, New Hampshire back to, back to Maine. And so I just said, you know what? I've done this a lot of times before. I don't have time to waste. So I'm going to go and see if I can get a rental car and I'm going to drive all the way to Massachusetts from New York tonight, stay at my mother's house and then wake up on Friday sometime and drive the rest of the way home. And, you know, in, in the natural, you could easily get frustrated over a situation like this this. If this would have happened to me like over 17 years ago before I got saved, there probably would have been a whole lot of words that I'm not allowed to say while I'm in this sanctuary. But I've grown a lot in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I've realized getting mad and getting angry and yelling at the people that work for Delta Airlines or United Airlines is really not going to do anything. Because first of all, if they're not open till three o'clock in the morning, then there's absolutely nothing that they can do. 
So I made up my mind. I said, you know what? I'm just going to keep calm and I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go get on the shuttle bus and I'm going to go pick up a rental car. Well, as I step outside of the airport, it is raining cats and dogs. Man, I'm telling you, I've never been in the middle of rain like this before. And it was raining. So I got, I got to the shuttle buses, and he took me to, you know, you get on one shuttle bus from the terminal, and then he drives you like five minutes away to where there's like a whole bunch of shuttle buses for these rental departments. So I get off of the shuttle bus, and I go into the first, into the first uh, rental department shuttle bus thing. I think it was like Avis or something like that. And they said, do you have a reservation for a vehicle? I said, no. I said, I'm just going in to pick one up, and I'm, I'm on my way home. And uh, they said, well, you can't rent a car from us unless you have a reservation. So I said, well, here it goes. More things are going to happen. So I said, well, I said, are you sure? He's like, absolutely. I said, you're just, it's just going to be a waste of a trip if I take you over to the rental department because they're not going to give you the vehicle. Everything is based on reservation. So I went to the next shuttle bus. They told me the same exact thing. They said, you can't have a rental unless you have a reservation. So finally, I did that to like three or four more shuttle buses until I got to the last one, which was Hertz. And as I walk in there, this guy sitting down at the bus, behind the wheel and he looked at me and he said do you have a reservation for for a vehicle I said no and he looked at me because I said it like kind of frustrated you know because I was like here it goes again but he said you've had a long day haven't you I said I absolutely have had a long day he said where are you coming from I said I'm coming from Tampa Florida I said I got to get all the way home to Maine by by Friday night by tomorrow night and so but every uh, rental department that I go to, they say that I can't rent something unless I have a reservation. The guy says, what were you doing in Tampa? And I told him, well, I'm a preacher. I was preaching over in Groveland, Florida, and then I went to a minister's conference. And he looked at me and said, what kind of preacher are you? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I said, I'm an evangelist. Do you, know, do you know what an evangelist is? And he goes, I absolutely know, do know what an evangelist is. And I've been waiting for you for a very long time. And then this gentleman just started talking to me and spilling everything that was going on in his life. And so I had the opportunity to share with him, you know, principles from God's word and to tell him that God cares about his situation and that God keep, keeps watch over his word. Now, this guy was a believer, but he was believing for a man of God to come through so that he could talk to them and get some advice. And guess who God decided to send on his way to go and speak to this guy, this Portuguese preacher right here. And so I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm humbled enough to think that God would trust me to give this guy the right words. But, you know, it's like what the Bible says. God will always give you the right words to say when it is that you need to say. And so he told me, let me see what I can do. So he called up the rental department. He was the bus driver. So it's not like he, he could do anything. And he said, let me see what I can do. Call, call up the rental department. And they said, we don't have any vehicles that we can give away. And I heard him talking with the people on the other line. And I could hear him like pretty much begging and asking for, you know, just one vehicle. And they said, well, we got one vehicle, I guess. And uh, we can give it to him. It was a little Ford focus hatchback how many have ever seen a little ford focus hatch you know it was like just my right thigh doesn't fit in that vehicle and so and and i had luggage and everything and so the guy tells me well they got one ford focus hatchback that you could have and uh so i'm gonna take you over there now so i get there 
uh, to the rental department, and there's three workers behind the counter working. And uh, actually, there was, you know, they, they weren't working. They were just sitting there shooting the breeze. And uh, 12 o'clock, midnight, you know, there's not really much foot traffic going through the rental department. A couple of people here and there, but whatever. And so I get there, and they tell me, well, you know, you're in luck. And like, like I say, man, I never operate by luck. I operate by the favor of the Lord that's upon me. They said, we got one vehicle that you can use. Uh, to drive from here to Bangor, Maine, to leave it there. And we're going to give you a Ford Focus. And they said, but the cost of the rental is going to cost you $600. I looked at the guy I said, $600 for a roller skate to get me all the way back up to Bangor, Maine? And he said, if that's, you know, if you want to get to Bangor, Maine on Friday, then this is the only vehicle we have and this is the price. So I felt like they were kind of pulling the, you know, trying to pull one by me. Uh, at $600 for, you know, I've rented, via, I, had, I had rented a, a, a Chrysler 300 while I was in Tampa, and they gave it to me for five days for like $120. And, uh, and so now they're charging me $600 for a Ford Focus, a hatchback on top of it all. And so they asked me, well, what, what, would you, what were you doing in Tampa anyway? Why did you arrive here so late? And so I said, man, I said, uh, you know, I'm a preacher. One of the guys looks at me like this, you're a preacher. I said, yeah. He's like, my, my brother is a pastor in, uh, in Ghana. And uh, what, what kind of preacher are you? What denomination? I said, I'm Pentecostal. He's like, oh, you're a Pentecostal preacher. You believe in the Holy Ghost? I believe in the Holy Ghost. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And there were a couple of other people that were, you know, working at the same time. And they all of a sudden started asking questions. They became interested in what I do for a living. And so the young woman that was there, she started asking me a whole bunch of questions about life and about faith and about the miracles that we see. Because I told her, it never gets old to see miracles happen. I don't care if you've seen a 10-pound tumor disappear from a person's body 50 times. It never gets old. You get as excited every time as when it happens. And so I started telling her about it. And so her and the other guy, he said, well, I believe, I said, you believe in Jesus? Oh, I believe in God. I said, I'm not asking you if you believe in God. I'm asking you if you believe in Jesus. Because the Bible says that the, the, there is going to be a, a, a point in time where every knee is going to have to bow down and every tongue is going to have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Can somebody say amen? And so it's like he did everything that he could to stay away from saying the name of Jesus. But hey, you're talking to the wrong preacher because I'm not ashamed to speak of the name of Jesus. And so these people started telling me everything that was going on in their life. And so I just felt prompted. She, one of the people said, well, well, in your journeys, in your travel, if you can think about me, if you ever think about this day and think about this conversation that we had, if you can just throw up a little prayer for me. Now, have you ever asked somebody passing through, you're like, hey, would you pray for me? I'm going through this need. And then all of a sudden they say, yeah, I'll absolutely make it a priority and I'll take it to the Lord in prayer. They're lying to you because five minutes from then, they're going to forget all about you. Because what I've realized is people are more concerned about themselves. And honestly, a lot of people have a lot of things going on. On. Sometimes they don't mean to do it, but they just forget about it and they never pray for you. So when this lady asked me if I would pray for her, I knew I had a lot going on and I wanted to be a person of my word. I said, better yet, I said, I'm going to do something better than just pray for you. I said, I'm about to pray for you tonight. And so in the middle of that rental department, here I am laying hands on all of the workers at the rental department, praying in the Holy Ghost. I led the young girl to the Lord. That day she made Jesus Christ 
as Lord and Savior of her life. And everybody in that rental terminate got to experience the power of God upon their lives. But the story only gets better because they were going to charge me $600 to rent that vehicle to drive all the way to Bangor, Maine. And they said, well, we're going to do something for you, preacher. And they started messing around with the computer. And then when they gave me the receipt for the vehicle, they dropped it from $600 to $175. And I got to get on, I got on in that vehicle that day. It was like one o'clock in the morning now. And I drove all the way to Massachusetts. Didn't get to my mom's house till about six o'clock in the morning. Finally, I laid my head down at like 6.30. My friend Paul decided to, well, you know what they say? Somebody butt dialed you. They have their phone in the back and they sit down and all of a sudden they dialed the last phone number that they dialed. Well, he ends up dialing my phone number at nine o'clock in the morning. So I was asleep for two and a half hours after being up for God knows how long. He wakes me up. I couldn't go back to sleep. And then I drove all the way back home beginning at like 930 in the morning back to Maine on Memorial Day weekend. And on Memorial Day, in Memorial Day weekend, you do not want to drive on the highway to Maine because everybody has their cabins and everybody has their camps. And that's the day that they all decide to take a trip up north to open up their camps. And so a trip that should have taken me four and a half hours to get home took me close to 10 hours to get home. I could have been easily frustrated at the end of the night, got to the rental terminal in Bangor, Maine. The lady says, where are you coming from? I said, LaGuardia. She looked at the slip and said, wow, they gave you a very good, she's like, I'm talking about like a very good deal, a deal that employees don't even get. She's like, they dropped your price from $600 to $175. She says that you never see that happen, not even with employees, but that's the favor of God working upon your life. Because if you will open your eyes to the opportunities that God is putting you in or opening up to you, see, there's a... Ask God beginning today, Lord, give me opportunity that I may be able to declare your great works to this lost and dying generation. And you know what? If you're one of those people that will begin to pray that, God may begin to open doors of opportunity for you, even when the time is not convenient for you. It may be inconvenient, but when you're faithful to what God has placed in front of you and faithful to to seek and to make sure that his kingdom is being proclaimed before your very own agendas, God will make sure that your priorities are taken care of while you're here on this earth. Can somebody say amen? And so I believe that God will open up, that God will set up certain situations, maybe not as like, you know, as like my situation was, but I believe God will open up certain things. Maybe you'll be running late. Maybe you, you ended up taking a left turn when you wanted to take a right turn. And who knows, maybe God has a greater plan for that day and just allow yourself to be used by the spirit. You know, I don't have anything wrong against planning out your schedule. I'm an evangelist, so I plan out my schedule pretty much like a year in advance. I've got meetings right now booked pretty much all the way through next May. People are already scheduling us, and we're going next year again back to India. But we need to allow to give the Holy Spirit some room to move in our lives. Can somebody say amen? There's been many times when I've gone through a town and the pastors heard that I was going to be in the area for a while. And he says, hey, I said, we didn't have this in the schedule, but I feel the Lord 
You know, I feel the Lord is having me wanting to have you come and speak to the church. And we go to the church and I go to speak. And the power of God and the glory of God gets poured out in the measure like I've never seen it before. So allow yourself or allow the Holy Spirit to have room in your life so that he can operate and do as he wills. Can somebody say amen? And so, you know, I believe it was like when I went to India it was one of those things where I allowed the Holy Spirit to have freedom in my life. And as we go back, let, let me just say this. In India, they kind of operate a little bit differently. When you have a preacher come in, they, they expect you to preach, you know, the three nights that you're there. And, uh, and then at the end of the three nights that you're there, or four nights, however long it is, they want you to lay hands on everybody that's in the service, anointing them with oil. Well, the first church I went to, the second church I went to, and the third church I went to, that was no problem. But the last church that I preached at for the last four services, they had on the last night close to 5,000 people in attendance. And they want you to lay hands on everybody and anoint them with oil. And the first thing that I thought to myself when I got on that pulpit, I said, man, I said, it's, you know, I thought it to myself, didn't say it out loud, but I said, it's going to be a long night tonight. And so by the, when I was done preaching... They, you know, we have like these little bottles of oil that we just did, you know, put it on the tip of our finger. And put, they came out with cereal bowls filled with oil. And they said, brother, and I would just like put my finger in there. And like, brother, they, they would take my hand and they dumped my hand inside the cereal bowl. They said, now take a lot of oil and slap it on the people's head. And they wanted me to pray for like 10, 15 minutes for each person. I said, listen, if I pray for 10, 15 minutes each person, I said, we're going to be here all night till tomorrow evening and I got a plane to get on so I can get back to Boston and see my family and so when we were in India that night we laid hands on over 5,000 people and uh, we anointed them with oil I thought it was over while we were in the service and they tell me now we got to go downstairs downstairs they had an overflow room of like 800 people that I needed to lay hands on after I laid hands on them I thought it was over they took me out to the garage out into the parking lot downstairs where there was people sitting in their cars with their trunks open sitting in the back and they were listening to the message and I laid hands on them when I thought that was over now I could could go back upstairs and get ready so I can go home they took me up and down the street people were lining lined up up and down the street sitting on their porches or listening from their windows and they took me up and down the street to lay hands on everybody that was listening you know sitting on their porches and had their heads out out the window and so even after I thought that was over, they started bringing people from the hospital. People hooked up with with hospital, like machines on them, wires on them. Had this one guy, couldn't even move. He was, I think it was like uh, diabetic. He was on dialysis and they had him in the back of the car. They had cars coming up and here I am, this Portuguese preacher getting in inside vehicles that were so small. A lot of them, all they do is ride scooters, you know? And uh, they fit like a whole family of four on one scooter. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, oh my word. Oh, they don't do that in America. No, they do that in America. They're going to jail. And so, but they literally have four people on a scooter. The wife sits on the back and the kids sit in the front. And so they, they were like driving up and just having me lay hands on them. And the glory and the power of God fell on the people of India last year. And I'm just believing, and I'm hoping you will believe with me too this year, that God will be poured out in a greater measure and that we will 
you'll see revival take place in that nation because I believe that when revival hits this world before Jesus Christ comes back, it's not only going to affect our country, Canada and the United States, but it's also going to affect the whole world. Can somebody say amen? I believe as the waters cover the sea, the glory of God is going to cover the earth in Jesus' mighty name. And so how many of you this morning would have your Bibles with you? If, oh, this morning I said, this, this evening. I'm going to ask you to open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. When you're there, can you say amen? Man, it's hot in this room, isn't it? Or is it just me? I'm like sweating up a storm here. <laughs> it is... Take me to the other side of the storm, Lord. Sweating up sweating up a storm. <laughs> it's like I feel like my pants are going to have like all these salt stains on it after they dry out. <laughs> Gross. TMI, right? Too much information. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. I want to speak to you on what I've titled, Return to Sender. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I, this is what the Bible says. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, his decrees and laws. And then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. Verse 16 makes a very important uh, point, uh, point here. That if we expect to live in increase... Here on the earth, while we are living here on the earth, then the Bible says that we are to walk in his ways and we are to keep his commands and his decrees. In verse 17, it also says that if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly, the Bible says, that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. And this is where I want to concentrate for the remainder of the evening, which is verses 19 through 20. The Bible says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord your God is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's read verse 19 again. This is what the Bible says. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. See, what I like about the word of God is this. God will always give you the option. He didn't create you to be a robot. He didn't create you to be controlled. But he created you with a free will to make your own choice and to make your own decisions. Can somebody say amen? But the also, the other thing that I like about God and like about his word is not only does God give us the option. He says, you can either choose life or you can choose death. You can choose the blessing or you can choose the curse. What I also like about God is not only does he give you the option, but all, God also gives you the best option to choose. God said, I've given you life and death, blessings and curses. But he says, choose life that you and your children may live. Now on the earth, regardless of who you are, regardless of what your gender is or what your nationality is, 
all of us at some point in our lives, we will be faced with, uh, we will, we will be faced with a moment in life, or we will all experience moments in our lives where we will have a great decision that we need to make. And I believe that part of living the Christian life is all about making the right choices and making the right decisions while we are here. In life, according to the Bible, God has given us the choice between the blessing and the curse. And the decision that we make, well actually let me just back up and say this. The decision that you make between the two will determine what you will experience here while you are here on the earth. Because what you and I see in life and what happens to you and I is not a matter of bad luck or good luck working for us. But what happens to you and I and what we experience in life is a direct result of the choices that we make. You see, just like the people in our text were faced with the decision to make that would establish their future, you and I, every day of our lives, are faced with decisions that will either give us a bright future or it will hold us back in life. And so to put it in very simple words, what Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and on is telling us is that we determine what we see happen in our lives. I've come across a lot of people that say, well, preacher, I can believe what I want to believe and I can do what I want to do. It's my choice. And the reality of that is this. It's true. It is their choice. It will always be their choice because God has given every single one of us the freedom to choose what we want to do and what we want to say. But understand this evening that not everything that a person chooses or believes in is in line with the word of God. You see, there are many variables in life that lead people to make the decisions that they make. There are some even Christians in, within the church that are compromising their convictions and God's standards of holy living because they don't want to be singled out from the crowd. But my friend, let me just say this to you this evening. If you are going to call yourself a Christian and you are going to be one that claims to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, then expect to stand out from the crowd. Expect for the world to look at you and think that you're not normal and that you're just like, you're, you're not an ordinary, you're not ordinary because extraordinary lives on the inside of you. So every day, you know, there, there are believers in the church that they will go against their convictions. Why? Because they don't want to be singled out from the rest of the crowd. But as a Christian, listen to this, every decision that you make should always be in line with God's word. You should never allow the choices that you make or the decisions that you make to be influenced by the culture or the times that we are living in. Can somebody say amen? 50 years ago, it was unheard of, of having same-sex marriages. But today, there are so-called Christian churches that they alone are questioning the holy covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for fear of retribution. So instead of going against the grain, they begin to follow the world's ideology and they say, well, we're living in different times and things have changed. And they've got one thing right. We are living 
living in different times and things have changed. But just because things have changed and we're living in different times doesn't mean that the word of God has changed on certain issues. Can somebody say amen? The Bible says the flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord shall remain forever. We should be very careful. We need to be very careful in in the midst of a changing world that we are living in, that we do not allow our message to change to accommodate the lifestyles of those that are living in darkness. Can somebody say amen? You see, not only should you not allow the culture or the times that you are in to influence your decision, you should not, you, you shouldn't either allow political correctness to be your influence or motivation in what you choose to do or what you choose to say. But every choice as believers, every choice that we commit should be motivated and influenced by the word of God. I believe North America is in the condition that it is, is because the church has let her guard down and at times she has compromised. And because we have compromised in this world, we have opened the door up for the enemy to come into our lives, to come into our homes, and to attack our nation. Because understand this, the choices that you make in life, they not only affect you, but they affect everybody that you come into contact with. See, just about everything that happens to us in life is a result of the choices that we make. And the reason I say just about everything that happens in our life is the result of the choices that we make is because there are certain things that people haven't experienced and haven't counted in their lives, not because of what they have done, but simply because they live or they have been born in a fallen world. But understand that if that's the case with you this evening, that even though what may have happened to you wasn't your fault or was out of your control, it is still your choice and whether or not you will allow that thing to have the victory over you because living in defeat and living in victory is a decision that you have to make yourself. You either choose, I choose today to walk in defeat or I choose today to walk in victory. Victory doesn't just come to people who God thinks are good enough. Victory comes to those who will fight their way through the darkest times of their life. Can somebody say amen? And here's another thing. You can receive word after word from great men of God. But the choices that you make in life is what's going to determine whether or not that word will come to pass in your life. Because God's word is filled with many promises and blessings. And God has many promises and blessings for his children. But those blessings and those promises are contingent on the choices that you make while you are here on the earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, this is what the Bible says. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 2. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all of his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. You know what I get from reading that text? Obedience to the word of God will guarantee the flow of blessings in your life. When you are obedient to God, God can't help but bless you today. Can somebody say amen?
And when the blessing comes on you, the Bible says that you are under a covering that keeps the attack of the enemy from hitting your life. I've had people ask me before, preacher, would you rather live a life in blessings or would you rather live a life in miracles? And my response is, I would rather have the blessing because in order for the miracle to come into your life, something devastating has to happen. But when you live under the blessing, the blessing will keep the devastation away away from you. Can somebody say amen? When you are under the blessing, you cannot be touched by the powers of darkness. And that's why the devil will do everything that he can to direct you away from living under the blessing. Because the devil knows that if you are under the covering of the blessing this evening, there is no plan or power and there is nothing that he can say or do that can penetrate through that covering that surrounds you in Jesus. Jesus mighty name. And so what he does is he waits for you to let down your guard. And when you do, he tries to give you chance after chance to compromise or to turn your back on God. We've all heard of that phrase. The God that we serve is the God of the second chances. But did you also know that the devil is the devil of the, uh, of the second chances? But the second chance that he gives you is a chance for you to compromise or to turn your back on God. We see this example with Shadrach, Meshach, and the Bendigo. The Bible says that when King Nebuchadnezzar built a golden statue in the middle of the city, the Bible says that when the music began to play, everybody within the sound of the music had to, had to bow down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had put into place. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to compromise and they refused to bow their knee down to the golden image for they said there's only one person that deserves to be worshipped, and that is God Almighty. And so the king said, if anybody refuses to bow down to the golden image, then they are going to be tossed into the fiery furnace. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they refused to bow down, the people from the city noticed that they wouldn't bow down every time the music played. So they went over to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, those three Hebrew men who you favor all the time, they refused to bow down to the golden an image that you have placed in the middle of the city. And so King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be a person of his word and he was going to make an example out of these three young Hebrew men. So he called them into his presence and he showed them the fiery furnace. And the Bible says he gave them what? One more opportunity to bow down to the golden statue. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to the statue. The king made them look at the fiery furnace he made them look at the consequences for going against the king's orders, but they had made up their minds and they would not bow down to the king. The king was trying to manipulate them and to force them to do something by fear. He was trying to manipulate them into thinking they had no other choice. But my friend, their decision was already made and they stuck with God. And because they stuck with God, because of the decision they made, they stuck with God. God made a decision to send the fourth man into the fire right after them. And I said all that to say this to you this evening. Sometimes the right choice may be hard to do. 
And life may be telling you today, you have no other choice but to compromise this one time. But I've come to encourage you this evening that if you will stay true to God, if you will not compromise in the toughest of times, even when it feels like you can't see or feel God in the middle of your situation, if you choose to stick with God, God will be compelled to send the fourth man into the fire right after you in Jesus' mighty name. See, a lot of people sometimes, you know, what, you know what I hear a lot of Christians say? They want the sympathy. Well, I just can't feel God in the middle of my situation. God doesn't seem anywhere to be around. Maybe you, you're guilty of saying that. I've been guilty of saying that. Maybe you've heard people say that. Well, I just feel like God's not around. I can't feel God. But if you read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nowhere does it say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw the fourth man in the fire. All it says is King Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth man. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter if you feel God or see God in the middle of your situation. Because God's word is not true because you feel him or see him. God's word is true because you receive it by faith. And whether or not you feel God or see God in the middle of your situation, as long as hell sees God walking behind you, I've come to tell you, you may be thrown into the fire, but you're coming out in the name of Jesus unharmed in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody say amen? Because regardless of how great the curse of the devil may be, I've come to tell you that the blessing of Jesus or the blessing is always greater than the curse. And there is no devil in hell that can curse what God has blessed. You need to understand today, you are blessed. How many of you woke up on the bed this morning? You are blessed. How many of you are going to a home, to a house after you're leaving? You are blessed. How many of you can go to Tim Hortons every day if you want to and just go get a cup of coffee, coffee, a double-double, as a matter of fact? You are blessed people here in the nation of Canada. Can somebody say amen? We are the blessed of the Lord. The Bible says that God has put the blessing upon us. And because you are blessed, there is no devil that can curse you. There is no devil that can curse what God has blessed. Can somebody say amen? But the enemy, you know what he does in the middle of the blessing? Because he knows he can't touch you. What he does is he tries to send distractions into your life. That will try to make you doubt the goodness of God. So that he can weaken and destroy your faith. And understand, like I said, I think I said it this morning. The devil is is after your faith. Because the devil understands, now you've got to understand this. That it is your faith alone that will shut down the attacks of the enemy. Many people are asking God for more faith. When instead of asking God for more faith, you know what they should be praying for? They should be praying, Lord, strengthen my faith during this difficult time. Strengthen my faith to see past the mountains in my way and to see the promise of God. For everything that the devil places in your life is to destroy you and to destroy your faith. But you've got to make a decision today before you leave this place. You've got to make a decision. I am not going to lose hope. I am not going to give up. But I'm going to keep on pressing on regardless of how impossible the situation may look. Because the distractions of the enemy that come into your life today 
They're to take your eyes off of God so that the problem becomes big, so that the problem looks bigger than what it really is. Can somebody say amen? I remember an old time preacher by the name of R.W. Shambach, who went, who, who's already gone to be with the Lord a few years ago. And he would say his ministry slogan was, you don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. Can somebody say amen to that? A lot of, have you ever heard somebody say, well, if I just had more faith. But the truth is this, you don't need more faith. The Bible says all you need is faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. And when you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, guess what? You possess all the power that you need to move the mountain in your life. The least amount of faith that God will give you, which is the grain of, the, of, of a mustard seed, is mightier than the largest amount of the devil's power. See, the devil, when he sends his distractions into your life, there's so that those distractions are there so that his power could be magnified over God's power. But listen to this. The devil's already defeated. And Jesus is already at the right hand of the Father as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What you need to understand is that every victory that you will see in your life will be connected to the decisions that you make when these distractions are sent your way. One of the distractions, I have three different types of distractions that the enemy will send into your life. One of the distractions that the enemy sends your way, I like to call it the unauthorized packages. How many have ever received a package in the mail from like UPS or DHL? Two people, oh, okay. Uh, I was going to look at the screen and say, hey, screen, have you ever received a package from DHL or UPS? But how many people have ever received a package from UPS or DHL? Yeah. In the natural, when you receive a package from one of those companies, when the delivery man arrives at your house, then more often than not, you've got to sign for the package. And then if you didn't order the package, what do you do? Instead of signing off on the package, you send the package back. And so what I see happening in the body of Christ is kind of similar to that. The devil is playing Mr. UPS man or Mr. Postal Service man. And he's been delivering packages to your doorstep that you have never ordered in the first place. But instead of sending the package back to where it came from, you know what a lot of believers are doing? They're signing off on the package and they're receiving it into their life. Well, how are they signing off on the package? Very simple. I'm glad you asked. Some of them are signing off on the package by the words that they are allowing to come out of their mouth. By the words that they speak, they sign off on the package and they give her permission to enter their life. A lot of people think, well, you know, he's one of those naming and claiming preachers, one of those blabbing and grabbing preachers. But the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. That is why you need to be very careful what you allow to come out of your mouth. Can somebody say amen? A lot of, a lot of God's children are getting packages sent to their spiritual doorstep and they're allowing it to gain access into their life by the words that they are allowing to speak. And now listen, your package that you received could be different from somebody else's package, but if you never ordered that package in the first place, then it's an unauthorized package, so don't allow it any entry into your life by the words that you speak. Instead of speaking a word that will sign, the pa that will sign off the package and you receive it into your life, speak a word that declares the postal man to put a 
return to sender stamp on the side of that box and let that devil know that what he sent you was an unauthorized package and you refused to accept it in your life. So the question I have for you is this. What is the package that the enemy has sent to your doorstep? Is it fear? Is it lack? Is it sickness? Is it insecurity? If it's any of those things, then send the package back in the name of Jesus. And when you send it back, listen, when you send it back, don't be surprised if the enemy rewraps the the package and he sends it back to your house. But no matter how persistent the devil is, you've got to be just as persistent to send the package back in the name of Jesus. Listen, I understand that some of you, what you're going through and what happened to you was out of your control. And it happened unexpectedly. But just about everyone has had something happen to them that they weren't expecting. And the reality is this, it came into their life and it happened. But the difference between those that come out victorious and those that come out defeated is those that come out defeated, they nurse their problem. But those that come out victorious, they're persistent in sending the package back in the name of Jesus. You may wonder, well, how do I know if a package is from God or not? Very simple. The Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. Can somebody say amen? If that thing that's been sent into your life comes to steal, kill, and destroy, then the package did not come from God. It came from the kingdom of hell. Because the Bible says Jesus does not come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes so that you may have life and have that life more abundantly. Can somebody say amen? Religion will tell you that God sent it to teach you a lesson. But the Bible says Jesus came so that he may destroy the works of the enemy. And so I've come to encourage you, whatever the packages that the devil has sent into your life. You've got to make a choice today. You either got to make the choice to receive the package, or if you never ordered it, you've got to make a choice to send the package back in the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? The second distraction that the enemy will send into your life is what I call thieves. Thieves come into your life to do one thing, and that's to steal what belongs to you. And you know what I've, you know what I've learned? I've learned that when a thief comes, comes to your house or comes to break into your house, he comes when you're the least prepared. In the natural, if a thief comes into your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, you don't just pretend he's not there. Now, men, if you're sleeping in your bed with your wife beside you, and your kids in the other room, if you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you don't just pretend that he's not there. But I'm pretty sure, unless you're a coward, but I'm pretty sure that if you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you find a stranger standing over your wife or standing over your children in their bedroom, I'm pretty sure you're going to get up and do something about it. Am I right? If a stranger came into my house... At 3 o'clock in the morning. Not only will I not pretend that he's not there. But if a stranger comes into my house to cause harm to my family. I'm going to reach underneath my nightstand. And grab what I call a Glock 43. I live in the United States of America. 
We believe in our Second Amendment right. Can somebody say amen to that? I know where I'm at. I'm in Canada. I know a lot of Canadians are against believers holding guns. My mom is one of them. I can't believe you have a gun. You've got Jesus in your heart. Why do you need a gun? I've got Jesus in my heart, but underneath my nightstand, I've got a Glock 43. And if a stranger enters my house to bring harm upon me and upon my family, he's going to wish that he chose the house next door and not my house. I believe in protecting your family by all means. God's made me responsible over my kids and over my wife. Can somebody say amen to that? But when the enemy comes into your house, he's not going to come when you're prepared. He's going to come when you least expect it. The enemy's not going to come to you. John, he's Pastor John. I'm sorry. He's a friend of mine, so I call him John. Everybody else call him Pastor John. But... The enemy's not going to come to my house and say, hey, by the way, at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're sleeping, we're going to break into your house and we're going to take everything that belongs to you. No. When the enemy comes, he's going to come when you least expect it. And he's going to make sure, you know what You know what I've learned from thieves? They usually don't come in through the normal way. They don't come in through the, uh, the most normal way that we have access into a house, which is through the front door. You know what they do? They normally will find another place that has been left open. See that window on the second floor that you thought was no big deal? It's very big deal to them. And that's how they can enter into your home and compromise your home and take everything that belongs to you. They'll come in some different way or in some different form that the thought never even crossed your mind. And so what I want to ask you is this. In our, in our lives, the enemy will do everything that he can to gain access into our lives. And what the enemy does is he tries to gain access through every means possible. So the question I want to ask you is this, what window in your life have you left open? Is it through the things that you are allowing to come out of your mouth? Is it through the things that you're watching on television? Is it through the music that you're listening to? Listen, parents, if you have children... And they're walking, you know, well, you know, they're 13 years old. They can do whatever they want to do. No. If my daughter at 13 years old is walking around the house with headsets in her ears and she's singing along with the music that she's listening to and what she's singing along to says that she's shaking this and that she's shaking that, then you better believe I'm going to take those headsets off of her ears and I'm going to listen to what I'm going to make. I'm going to see what she's listening to. And if it's nothing that's edifying her spirit, then I'm th- I don't care how much that iPod costs. I'm going to throw it straight into the garbage because my daughter's soul and spirit is too valuable for me to allow the devil to gain entry and access into her life. And that's what a lot of us are doing. A lot of us are allowing the enemy to come into our life through a different me through, through a means that we thought was no big deal. But what happens is before it's no big deal now, but sooner or later down the line, what we thought was no big deal becomes a major problem in our lives. And for Wait, when I was growing up in the church, my parents were strict. We were just talking about this. You know, they're Italian. I'm Portuguese. We both come from European backgrounds. And when I was growing up in today's day, you know, with American children, you know, their parents are, oh, well, we're going to take this away from you. And we're going to take this away from you. And hopefully you, you learn a lot. No, if I did something wrong, 
my mom would backhand me real quickly and hard. And sometimes, you know, every, by every means necessary, she would take the slipper, she would take the stick, whatever it was. Even if I was like 15 feet away from her, if there was a coffee mug on the table, she would pick up the coffee mug, whether it was filled or not, and she would throw it at me. Thank God I, my reflexes were quick. And I ducked before that thing hit me in the head. But today, we don't want to, we don't want to discipline our children. Well, we're just going to take things away. No, discipline them. Let them know who's in charge. Let them know who's boss. A lot of families right now, especially in the church, they're allowing their kids to do whatever they want to do. But I remember growing up, my mom was so strict. Forget my dad, my mom. You know, my mom would put the fear of God right into you. And so my mom, when I was in church, we would have to go to church every Sunday morning, which was in English, every Sunday night, which was in Portuguese. I hated when I was, I, I disliked going to church when they were preaching in English. Never mind when they were preaching in Portuguese. And then I would have to go to a midweek Portuguese service also. And so when all of my friends and cousins used to go to church at the same time with me, they used to go downstairs during the preaching and they used to play and have fun and play with all the other little boys and play with all the other little girls. But you know what? My mom and my dad made me and both of my brothers sit beside them every week on Sunday at church. When they stood up to read the Bible, we had to stand up and read the Bible. When they stood up to sing, we had to stand up and sing. When they were clapping their hands, we had to clap our hands. We had to shake. When they would say, turn around and shake somebody's hand. You know, here we are. It's like five, six, seven-year-olds, and we're shaking everybody's hand. While all the other kids are downstairs playing, we have to be shaking this person's hand, that person's hand, and listening to the preacher preach in Portuguese, and it felt like an eternity for me. And my parents used to drag me to church. If I ever told my mom at the age of 13 or 14, never mind, 14 or even if I was 17 or 18, if I told my mom, well, I'm not going to go to church. What do you mean you're not going to church? You're going to church today. I don't. The only way you're going to church is if you're dying. And even if you're dying, we're taking you to church, and we're going to let the preacher lay hands on you, and you're going to recover in the name of Jesus. I had no choice in whether or not I wanted to go to church. My Portuguese butt was at church every week. But all my cousins, they got to do what they wanted to do. My aunts and uncles used to say, Maria, Portuguese. I'm sure like the Italians, every woman's name is Maria. Maria, you're too strict with your kids. But you know what? I look back. I'm 36 years old now. I look back. I thank God my mom was strict. I thank God my mom, my mom drug my body to church every week. Because I would not be here if it wasn't for, for my mom raising me up and taking me to church. Because all of my cousins, who their parents allowed them to do whatever they want to do. You know where they're They're all out of church. They want nothing to do with God. A couple of them are living homosexual lifestyles. All the rest of my other, my brothers and I are the only ones of, of the family, the cousins of the family that are married and have kids while we were married. All my other cousins are living with their, with their significant others, living with their, with their boyfriends or girlfriends, and they have children with them and want nothing to do with God. And then my aunts and uncles, they wonder why their kids turned out the way that they turned out, and my mom's kids turned out the way that they turned out, was because my mom knew that her priority was to take her children to church, that 
they would sit down and receive the word because the Bible says when we grow older, we will never depart from the word of God. Can somebody say amen? It is easier to keep your kids in church now than it is to pray for them when they're 20 and 30 years old to come back into the kingdom of God. My son, I was just telling them, goes to a Baptist school. My son, the, 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 the teacher, came up to me after church, uh, af, af, after the school session, and said, you know, your son was trying to talk to me about something today, and I, I think he, I don't, I don't think he was making any sense. I don't even think he knew what he was talking about. So what, what was he saying? She said he was talking about the Holy Ghost. I said, Holy Ghost? Yeah. And she kept talking about, he said, Holy Ghost and fire. She's like, I don't know what he's, maybe he's getting confused. I said, no, my son's not getting confused. I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Ghost and fire. He's talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. Can somebody say amen? When my son goes, you know, most kids are going to get in trouble at a Christian, at a Christian school for cussing or for saying a word that they shouldn't say. My son's going to get in trouble in school because when his friends are sick, he walks up to them and lay hands on them and commands them to be healed in the name of Jesus. See, I want my kids to grow up with something that I, I never had the privilege and the opportunity to grow up in, and that is in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I want my kids to know, it's not that I'm against doctors, it's not that I'm against outside help, but I want my kids to know today, beginning at an early age, that God is the source to everything that they will ever need in life. Can somebody say amen? So that's why I protect what my, I protect my kids from what they watch on television. I protect my kids from what they listen to on the radio, and you've got to protect Protect yourself too, because let me tell you what, there's a lot of believers that I know, old and young alike, where they will listen to anything that comes on in the radio, and they will watch anything that comes on television, they will listen to people using the, the, using the F word, cussing up a storm, and they think that it's no big deal, but you've got to guard your spirit, because what may be no big deal to you is a very big deal to the devil, and he can use that to gain entry into your life, can somebody say amen? See, the the devil comes to do one thing and one thing alone, and that's to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give you that life more abundantly. So when the devil comes a knocking at your doorstep, trying to gain entry into your house, you let him know that there is no room for stealing, for killing, and destroying, but let him know that your house is occupied with life and life more abundantly in the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? The last, the last distraction that the enemy will send into your life. Is somebody getting something out of this today? The last distraction that the enemy will send into your life is the unexpected visitor. Have you ever had an unexpected visitor show up at your house? I don't know how it happens here in, in, in Toronto. But where my wife grew up in Kelms Mills, New Brunswick. How many have ever been to New Brunswick? You're not missing much. Really not. Really not. When I drove up there for the first time, I thought, where in the world is she taking me? It's just nothing but flatlands and trees and grass and cows. And that's the thing. I'm used to seeing cows eating grass. When I went to India, the cows were eating out of the dumpster. Gross. And, uh, but the unexpected visitor, my wife's father owns 98 acres of land. On about six acres of that land is his house. Down the street, he cleared another spot, and his son lives there, my brother-in-law. On the other side, his nephew lives there. 
behind them, his brother and sister-in-law live behind. So it's like everybody that lives there, they're all family. And uh, when we're there in Canada, we could be getting ready to go out the door. And all of a sudden, Uncle Stan and Aunt Jeanette will show up at the house unexpectedly. I'm telling you, we're getting ready to get in the car. We're getting ready to go somewhere into the city, into Moncton. And Uncle Stan and Aunt Jeanette show up. You know what happens? Everybody gets back out of the car. We go back inside the house. My mother-in-law makes some coffee, instant coffee, girls, makes some coffee, and she gets out the blueberry coffee cake, and we laugh and sit around the table and laugh and have a good old time, and then when they decide to leave three hours later, after they unexpectedly show up, we were just laughing for three hours, but then after they leave, I can't believe they showed up and messed up my plans. But you know what? The truth is this. No, you're laughing because it's happened to some of you. But the truth is this, the unexpected visitor didn't mess up your plans. You allowed him to mess up your plans. I love each and every single one of you. But if you show up in my house unexpectedly, while I'm heading out the door to do something, don't expect for me to invite you into my house and to give you some instant coffee and blueberry coffee cake. I'll tell you, hey, I'm glad that you came to see me. Maybe you. I, I, I would change my plans for you. But I would say I'm glad that you showed up to visit me, but I'm on my way to do something. You can come back in a couple of hours if you so desire, and then we can sit around my table, and we can have some blueberry coffee cake, and we can drink some Starbucks coffee or whatever it is that you want to drink. But a lot of us complain and say, That the unexpected visitor messed up our plans when the reality is this. That you allowed the unexpected visitor to mess up your plans. You've got to make a decision. Am I going to allow him to mess up my plans or am I going to do what what I've already planned in my life? And it's the same way in the spiritual realm. The Bible says that God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a future and to give you a hope. But you know what happens? The enemy comes in with his own agenda. And he tries to mess up God's plans for your life. And you either, you got, you got a decision to make. You're either going to allow the devil to mess up God's plans, or you're going to tell the devil, listen, I said, I've already got the plans. God's already made the plan. Devil, you need to pack up your stuff, and you need to go. He'll try, you know what it is? And the unexpected visitor could come in any form. I have a friend, the same friends who I, I was in Tampa with, Paul and Heather, I'm going to ask our keyboardist to come up. told you I wasn't going to keep you long. I know a lot of you got to work tomorrow. But when I was a few years ago, my friend Paul and Heather, very great friends of mine, incredible musicians, to me the best. I I take them on the road with me when we do our miracles for New England. But a few years ago, right before Christmas, Heather's brother had an unexpected visitor come into his life. And the unexpected visitor came in the form of cancer. Now, it's not like he woke up one day and thought, well, said, I think today I'm going to, cancer is going to come into my life and I'm going to receive it. No, cancer showed up unexpectedly in his life. And so my wife and I knew that when that unexpected visitor came into his life, it is very important what you allow yourself to read, what you allow yourself to listen to, 
and who you associate yourself with. I have a guy in my church whose wife was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer, a few months, like about a year ago. And he was telling me that people in the church would go up to him and be like, so-and-so in my family was also diagnosed with the same disease that your wife had a few years ago. And so he would ask them, well, what happened to them? Did the Lord heal them? And their response would be, oh, no. They died three months after the disease came upon their body. These people who are suffering with deadly sicknesses and diseases, they don't need to be hearing people's testimony of how the Lord didn't come through. They need to be hearing the Lord, the testimonies of how the Lord did come through. Can somebody say amen? And it's not that the Lord didn't come through, but according to my Bible, the Bible says anybody that comes to him in genuine faith, he has never lost a patient. And so when Paul and Heather, when Heather's brother received the diagnosis that he had cancer in his body, had a tumor in his, cancerous tumors in his lungs, my wife and I, decided to take every CD that we had on healing. We took books that we had on healing by T.L. Osborne, Healing the Sick. And how many have ever heard of Joel Osteen? His mom, Dodie Osteen. She wrote an autobiography of how the Lord healed her miraculously from stage 4 cancer. I don't care if it's stage 1 cancer or if it's stage 4 cancer. God has the ability and the power to heal every manner of cancer. Can somebody say amen? And so we sent these books in the mail to Jason. He had lung cancer, 42 years old, I believe. Never smoked a cigarette in his life. It's just like the devil to send a visitor like that unexpectedly into his life. But Jason had a decision to make. He had a, I'm either going to allow this cancer to beat me Well, I'm going to beat this cancer in Jesus' name. And so David began, Jason began to to read the book of Dodie Osteen. And faith started arising on the inside of him. And he said, one day, he said, he was sitting on his lazy boy in December in the state of Georgia. And he said, enough is enough. He said he felt the faith on the inside of him to receive his healing of cancer. He said he got to his feet, he grabbed the trash, he walked out to the door, to the back door, grabbed the trash that was by the door, and he said he ran up the hill, and when he ran up the hill, he said he opened up the the, the cover, took the cover off the barrel, and he dropped the natural trash that he ran up the hill with, and he said he then turned around and lifted his hands up to God, and he said, and I left the trash of cancer behind with it too, and he lifted his hands up to God, and he said, in the name of Jesus, I am healed. He went back down to his house, called up the doctor, and he said, doctor, I want you to take new scans, and I want you to run new tests on my body, because I know something has happened. The doctor said, listen, a lot of people go through the same thing that you're going through. They feel like things are happening in their body. They feel like the disease is going away. But I'm telling you, you're going to come in here. You're just going to pay more money for us to run these results, and nothing's going to change. He said, run the tests. Run the exams. He went to the doctor. The doctor did the tests. 
did the exams, they say within two weeks, we'll let you know what the results are. Within those two weeks, it's so important that you get your eyes focused on the Word, fixed on the Word, start declaring the Word, and believing the Word. Two weeks later, the doctor said, called them up and said, we've got great news for you. We don't know what happened. We call this a miracle. But they said, when we were looking at your x-rays and looking at the test that we ran, the report came back that there was no trace of cancer in your body, the tumor was no longer in your lungs, and you are declared cancer-free today by the doctor, by the staff here at this hospital. The doctor said, we don't know how to explain it, but I'll tell you, and I'll explain it to you. It was the power of God that came upon Jason. Why? Because he made a decision. I will not allow myself to walk in sympathy and for people to have pity over me. I will not allow myself to be around people that will cry, but I'm going to associate myself with people that will lift me up, and I will keep the Word of God before my eyes on a daily basis. And when you keep the Word of God and declare the Word of God, I don't care how great the situation is in your life, God will reverse it in the name of Jesus. So the question I have for you is this. What package arrived in your life? What package has the devil put and laid at your doorstep? Is it sickness and disease? Then send it back. Is it insufficiency? Send it back. Are you believing for a job and the devil says you'll never get the right job? Send that report back in the name of Jesus. And begin to declare today. Today, God is opening up the perfect job for me. Listen, I don't say things just to say things. I say things because the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things to me. And somebody in here is believing for a perfect job. Somebody's believing for a better job with better benefits, with better with with a better pay, with a better promotion. Somebody's believing for it. Whoever that is, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to ask for favor. Put, put, put the wherever you want to work, fill out the application, and God's going to give it to you in the name of Jesus. I don't care if I don't care if they say, well, you know. There are people that, that, that are ahead of you. That's where favor kicks in. And God's going to put you ahead of all those people in the name of Jesus. I feel that so strongly in my spirit. Who is that? Lift your hand. I feel that so strongly in my spirit. Come on. Come here. I want to lay my hands on you. I'm not going to wait till a few moments from now. But when the anointing is present for something, that's when the anointing kicks in to make it work. Can somebody say amen? Lift your hands in the name of Jesus. Father, the job that she's believing for that she wants, I release it into her life right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command every person that is hindering her, every foul spirit that is hindering her from receiving what she wants, I declare them, I, I command them to get out of the way now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever the application needs to go in front of, Father, I pray that the angels in heaven, as they fly by, that the wind they produce would make that application fall right before the person that needs to look at her application. In the name of Jesus, I release favor upon her life. In Jesus' mighty name, hallelujah. Grant her her request in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Is there anybody else in here that's believing for that? Yep. I felt faith coming off from you too for that. Come on down, let me lay my hands on you. People say, well, what is the laying, hand of, laying on of hands does? It's a point of contact. 
That's what it is. That my faith and your faith come into agreement. And it's a point of contact where we release our faith together. And we receive what God has for us. You believe me for a great job? Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.